At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hey, what up? It's DK. Thank you so much for listening to the Mixing Music Podcast. I just want to do a quick plug. Did you know that I write kids' books? If you have children, nieces, nephews, I have books that are totally available for free or $10 on Amazon for physical copies. You can go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash kidsbooks to get access and learn more about that. Thank you for all of your support. Now let's get back to the show. Welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. I'm your host, DK, and with me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Laser Lou. I hate to sound like a DJ, but... Because when I think lasers, I also think of that horn. There you go. A semi-automatic laser. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast, where we help... Uh, young entrepreneurs, young mixers like yourself, young producers learn how to make better music. And in turn, um, I would the main focus of this podcast is to kind of transition people to teach them not only how to get better at mixing, how to get better at audio in general, but how to do so in order to grow a business. Yeah. That's, that's our thing. Yeah. Even if the business side is to stay as a creative versus just the, the technician, right? Um, how can you get better and make sure that your end results are just that much more organized and better? That's true. And yeah. and I think our big selling point is that we're not just a show about mix tips. We are a show that's practical mix, t- mix tips in order to grow your business. So it's I, like, I like to think of it as a show based around longevity and what we do. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Longevity, sustainability. We're big on that. And um, yeah, we're not, we're not here to tell you how to do your EQ. Uh, in a specific instance, we're here to tell you how you can use an EQ to earn money. So um, oh, yeah. if you are a hobbyist, the advice is different. And if you are trying to become a professional, which I've like rarely, I do not know anybody that is engineering that isn't trying to do full time with it. Yeah. It's one of those weird hobbies. Like with runners, you don't hear runners trying to go pro. Yeah. Like audio engineers, like most everybody's trying. I'll say it like this, like a very clear difference in hobbies and professions is almost the price point of the tools required to actually do it. For instance, like, uh, you know me, I like to build a lot with my hands and stuff. So woodworking has always been fun for me. Um, but I can get a little like really cool locking miter bit, something that only really people who will ever deal with that kind of stuff ever know about, but it's only like 60 bucks, 80 bucks, where if you wanted to get like a mid tier microphone, you're spending like 600 bucks to like 1,500 bucks. That's quite the difference in, in price point. So like a big part of our, our side of like this industry or creativity is it's not a cheap one to get into. So like a lot of people tend to dive in so much that it's like, you know, if I'm going to spend this much, I want to, I want to see a better sense of return on it. And, and I, I think there is an unfortunate correlation with 
how professional you look. For example, like yeah. whether or not you have a $300 mic or a $3,000 mic. Mm-hmm. I mean, the big difference is, yeah, the, the more expensive one obviously sounds a little bit better. But more importantly, I think this is like the balance that people are trying to figure out with their own egos as well. Yeah. Is like the value and importance of looking professional. Yeah. Of going into a studio, of going into a studio and looking like you know what the fuck you're doing. Because at the end of the day, mixing is so obscure. It's like looking like you know what you're doing and building confidence that way mm-hmm. is almost as important as building confidence through like getting a a good mix done. Like you're not going to yeah. get that first chance unless you look like you know what you're doing, but you're not going to get a second chance or a third chance if unless you, don't you actually know what, know what you're what doing. You're do. yeah. yeah. So it's like a little weird thing. So one thing that you don't want to do, and for some reason the camera keeps cutting out, we are live on Twitch and YouTube. Let me try to figure this camera thing out real quick. But um, one thing that we're going to, what we don't want to do is like, you don't want to be a wealthy dude, a rich dude that has all the gear, but mm-hmm. has no experience. And the same thing, like you don't want to be the dude that has all the experience but has no gear. Yeah. And and I think I would actually prefer the latter than the former. Um, I think that's most- kind of how the majority of our work the last couple of years has been. We have a studio full of gear, yet most of our setup is in the box. Yeah. Yeah. As far well, as our personal that's the right rigs. balance, right? Yeah. And we do. Uh, I, I thought I was thinking about this. Like, what's the best way to? Um, summarize how I feel about analog expensive equipment. Mm -hmm. And I said, I think I finally came to the conclusion that it's what it is, the purpose that it serves. It's a really great tax deduction. Yes, it's always been. No, as in, Every, as, in as in, like that's the only purpose that it serves. Like you like, don't buy gear if you're not making too much money already. Yeah, yeah. Like you only buy gear so you avoid paying more taxes. Yeah. So, uh, Every year, whenever I'm prepping for my taxes, the first thing I do is I check out all my online receipts for everything that I've bought in that year. And that's the first thing I'm counting. I'm not counting my miles first. I'm not counting uh, my internet uh, bill or anything first. I'm counting the gear because that's going to sum up the biggest deduction that I'm going to have this year. Yeah. So that's all it is. That's the that's the main purpose that yeah. it serves. Otherwise, your hours, dollars per hour goes down if you're charging per song. Every time you turn on and and use a, an analog uh, like insert, the, your like, dollars per hour goes down. Anyway, <laughs> like the Quested's at the studio. That's that's a tax deduction. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So um, that's the main purpose that it serves. Um, and that's the kind of advice that we give on this show. So if you're new to the show, welcome. We've been having a lot of new listeners. Um, we actually just passed. Um, Three quarter mil. Mis- right? Yeah, no, we we passed 800,000. Holy shit. 800,000 downloads um, on Spotify alone. I think we're close to 30,000 followers. Uh, nice. so like we're, we're no small show anymore. So thank you so much for people that have been leaving ratings. Cause that's how we do this shit. Oh, and we have a winner for the last one. Oh yeah. Did you DM that person? I, I don't know how, cause they didn't put their tag they on did, it. They, they did. The they second did. one yeah, had zoom a tag. In, zoom in. Oh, okay. okay. Zoom in. And cause uh, they had their Instagram tag on there. The one Ooh. with the British tea thing. Yeah. That yeah, one was awesome. So, uh, Autotune X is coming your way. From from Laser Lou today. <laughs> All right. Um, but we have a really cool episode. I think this is going to be an important one. A good one. Um, these are seven or eight, depending. Seven or eight signs that mm. you're doing the right thing. That you're on the right path. Like signs of, of mixing maturity. Engineering maturity. If, if these are the steps that... This is a great way of, of landmarks, emotional landmarks yeah. to figure out if you're on the right path, if you're doing, some, if you're doing the right thing. Because as a mixer and as an audio engineer, as a producer, you kind of, 
And especially with egos and being creative like us, it's difficult to kind of gauge your own strength. And I know a lot of really talented people that don't recognize how talented they are and a lot of under-talented people that overvalue their creative important, like their creative endeavor. Anyway, so um, this is the figure out whether or not you are in the right place. And here's like seven or eight landmarks or signs that you're probably doing good. And if you fit all seven of these, I guarantee you're actually a really great mixer. Um, there's a, uh, we won't go into the Dunning-Kruger effect. You know, we, um, we've, t- we've had an episode about that. Just search in the episodes list, Dunning-Kruger effect, uh, and that form of cognitive bias. Basically people who think they're good actually aren't. And people who aren't think they don't think they're good actually are. It's a really great episode about the psychology of figuring out where you're at. But today is more like practical landmarks, practical science, um, and, and how you run your business, how you actually run your studio, I think this is a big one. So number one, we're going to start with the low-hanging fruit here, mm-hmm. um, is that if you are good, then you're going to have a great balance of confidence and humility. Yeah. Now, a sign of someone that's not doing good is someone that is um, that hasn't quite reached that level of good Usually is someone that's underconfident. Ego. Like, you know you have a lot more to grow. And, and you, I say the opposite. I say ego. Well, both, both. Yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna get into that one later because that's that's even easier. But I think that there's oftentimes people that don't think they're good enough think that because their conscience is telling them that. Yeah. So like it's this thing where it's like, okay, I'm charging whatever five hundred dollars per song, three hundred dollars per song, but I on the inside I feel like I'm only giving them hundred and fifty dollars service. So there's gonna yeah. be this like cognitive dissonance. Where it's like, okay, they, they know what's going on, so they feel really shitty about it. That's one thing. I've also yeah. met a lot of people that don't think they're good at all, um, yeah. but they're really fantastic. But I would say that's few and far between. And on the inside, they actually know. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, the easiest one is like the people that are way overconfident. Yeah. Um, they're one, probably the worst, actually. Yeah, those ones I see all the time where um, it's almost like the infinite promise of L.A., uh, whenever you meet somebody and they're like, oh, bro, like we can make a million dollars together, this and that, but there's no plan. Uh, I've met a lot of people where they're like, oh, yeah, I've got some of the best mixes out there. And you'll hear them talk shit about every other mixing engineer in the industry. Then you hear their mix and you're like, you know, I don't I don't hear it. Yeah, I really don't hear it. Like, I actually don't think you have a leg to stand on. It's interesting. There's like the the persona. There's many engineers that have the persona of ignorance. And that's like part of their brand. Like Jason Joshua is one mm-hmm. of them for sure. Like, it's like this feigning superiority for the sake of like the brand. Yeah. Right. And I think that that goes a long way. But in most cases, mm-hmm. in almost all of the cases, um, there is actually like if you talk to someone that is winning Grammys and you talk to them, they were introduced at a dinner by people that were not doing music. They probably play it humble because that's yeah. typically the type of person that they are. Like they recognize that they're doing great, but they also recognize like more importantly, if I plateaued right now, that is fucking sad. Like yeah. that's that's an important recognition. Um, that's a really sign of emotional, uh, a really great sign of emotional maturity. Like, yes, I'm good, and I recognize that I'm going to make you happy. Mm-hmm. But also this balance of like, we're not plateauing here. I got a lot more to grow. Which, and it can that in itself can be a sign of confidence. Yeah, right. I think that's one of the ones we went uh, and put on the list, where it's just. Uh, I guess you could say it's like understanding that it's not about your output, but rather your client's reception of what you're doing. You know what I mean? Because a lot of times we kind of look at our, I guess our skill set right now is like, oh, we did something great, but the industry changes. 
The industry changes every year. There's a new artist or every day. But every year there's a new top artist, right? And that new top artist has maybe a similar sound or a whole new sound. We don't know, but it's kind of like what Jimmy Douglas says. Jimmy Douglas will talk about how he always keeps younger cats around him because he's not going to keep up with what's new. And he's learning from the newer guys. So how is it that somebody that's been around, has worked with everybody, is still finding something new to learn from, from the new guy? Yeah. The goat, Jimmy Douglas. There, there's uh, That's super important. So um, you kind of know that you're the shit, but at the same time, you don't gloat about it. Yeah. Um, and uh, you recognize that you still got a lot more to go, which goes into, um, this is going to be like the foundation of like future points that we're going to get into. We're going to come back to this. But number two, mm-hmm. and this is where the humility part access, the humility part comes into. Number two, I think a great sign of emotional maturity as an engineer and maturity as an engineer is you stop complaining. Yeah. You stop complaining about revisions. You just know that's part of the work. You stop complaining about poorly recorded tracks because you've just had so many. You just don't give a shit. It's like whether or not it's poorly recorded or not, you're going to kill it. Yeah. I mean, uh, it might be annoying, but you also are grateful for your work so that you're yeah. able to do what you do. You know, you've come to a, a healthy conclusion about what you're doing. Um, you also recognize that this is the type of shit that you're agreeing to when you agreed to try to do this as a living. So um, I think that comes from experience. Um, And I think like uh, complaining about labels, complaining about artists not making enough money, complaining about just complaining in general. I think those that are actually really good just stop completely because you recognize, oh my gosh, I was able to overcome everything that had gone against me. Like you, you go, you get over so fucking much that you realize, oh my gosh, if I, this piece of shit could do this. Mm -hmm then holy shit, there's nothing to complain about. Yeah. Honestly speaking, that's where like humility comes back into play because you do have to have a chip off your shoulder. You do. do. Yeah, explain that. Uh, So to know that you don't need to complain about those things is also to say, okay, I can handle it. It doesn't matter. I can receive bad tracks and still make it good. I can receive good tracks and still make it better. It doesn't really matter. I could have a bad client. I could have a good client. Either way, I'm going to kill it. There you go. So you kind of have to have that chip off your shoulder. But the humility play is saying, but not every experience is going to be as simple as the next. One song may require one revision. The next song might require five. But at the end of the day, the revisions are going to be requested. You should not be insulted that there was actually a revision requested. In fact, you should be honored. The main reason is this. Instead of them just accepting it and saying, we're going to move on to the next person because this guy didn't even get close. It's like, hey can we just do a couple changes? Like we, we want to keep working with you. It's just like, it just wasn't really hit on the first track. Yeah. They're, they're inviting, you want to invite collaboration. That's specific about revisions. Um, I've, I myself, I'm not going to pretend like I'm the best at this. I think I've come to a point in the last year where I'm like complaining significantly less. Um, but there was a point even during, since the start of the podcast where Man, I fucking hated revisions. I was really open about it. I really hated annoying clients. I hated doing this. I hated this. I, I've even said things like, I hate working with celebrities. I hate blah, blah, blah. Like a lot of like complaining. Mm-hmm. And I feel like over the last year, maybe two, um, I've significantly decreased. And that's not necessarily on purpose. Um, a little bit, you know, because I am aware. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but also, um, I feel like I've hit a level with my career and with my maturity and with my confidence in my work and the humility that I have. I recognize my place. I'm a small cog in a big machine. Yeah. You know, like I'm not a major wheel or a major cog. 
I'm a very small fish in a big pond here in LA. And like, I'm grateful that I get to do this. And it's like recognizing, been through some terrible, terrible shit, you know, um, doing therapy as well. I recommend that for anybody going through anything. Um, you know, running, you know, these things that mm-hmm. are like, I'm kind of like getting over myself and maturing a little bit. And when I've stopped complaining, I have happier clients. I myself am happier. Um, my mixes sound better because um, I'm inviting collaboration and there's like no ego. And I think the clients can feel that. The clients can feel that there's no ego. I'm on their team. Yeah. I'm. We're both mutually interested in making this sound the best that we can. Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody has any interest in having a half-assed output. Yeah. And it's really interesting because before it'd be like, the customer's always right. The customer has the power. But now, mm-hmm. like, the power is equalized. Like, yeah. I, I have the perfect amount of I don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. You know, like, if you love your kids way too much, <laughs> you know, that's not good yeah. for them. Like, they're going to be overcoddled. Yeah. Right? But if you obviously, if you don't give enough attention to them, that's also bad. Yeah. But you have to have like a balance of like, I don't give a fuck what you do. You choose what you want to do. Yeah. You know, it's like there's a perfect amount of that. Um, and I think that that's kind of where I've come to with my career. Like, I care a lot, but not so much that I am nitpicky and complaining and like everything has to go my way because I recognize, okay, it's a push pull thing going on. Yep. To be honest, it's, kind of the defining difference between whether you make money or not Mm. think about it this way like uh you already know like i still mix for a lot of people but the big part of what people know me for nowadays is more mastering um the more mastering work i get on a regular basis the more i see that there's the divide between the two sides of what people want out of mastering some people want the extra five percent and some people just want the verification of their work uh, for most cases, it's only engineers that ever want the verification of work versus the extra 5%. It's usually artists and producers or labels that are asking for the extra 5% because they, they heard it and they, they're not in the mindset that the engineer has put 100% of their time into it. Um, with that said, it doesn't really matter to me which one they prefer because I can give them both, but it ultimately matters how they receive it. Yeah. You know, because at the end of the day, as long as nobody's complaining, you've done your job and you can peacefully put it away. Even if you don't like the end result, one of the biggest things you can walk away with is I'm done with it. Yeah. So uh, I do think like there's a great, uh, let's look at it from a different angle. Cause if we talk about music, I love to talk about art or any other forms of art and creativity, mm-hmm. because then we can look at it a little bit more objectively. Mm-hmm. But I mean, look at the rise and fall of, of comedians careers, yeah. people that have podcasts, it's the comedians in the early days before they get the before they feel like they're getting enough recognition. They're complaining and talking shit a lot. Yeah. And then they get to a specific point of fame and then they stop talking shit. Yeah. And then once they're going back down again, they start talking shit even harder potentially than the first time. Mm-hmm. And that and sometimes talking shit is a sign of them going down, but also that's like for example which H with H3, mm-hmm. that's like him talking shit is the reason why he's going down. Yeah. It's just such a fucking boring. He's just talk shit. It's like it's just so negative now. You see it a lot in YouTubers. Like a lot of YouTubers when they're doing well, um, you just see them focus on what's going on, and then you hear about like the YouTube drama of whatever's going on. Um, I'm not even going to bring up the examples that I know because they have to do with Pokemon cards. But it's it's kind of petty to see it, and then you just lose interest in the videos when you talk to people who act like that. 
you lose interest in the conversation very quickly. Yeah, you you realize that the person that's talking about it isn't interested in doing it. So you can tell, like for mm-hmm. example, like I think Ethan with H three is a great example because you can tell that he just doesn't care anymore. Yeah, like something snapped in him. Um, and then say like so you can tell that the person doing it isn't into it as much. And then they're talking shit about the person who is trying to get interested into it. It's not. I mean, think about being that as a mixer. The person yeah. that that is just an engineer in general, that is just a really bad place to be. And I, I, sometimes it's a sign of not doing well, but I also think that that's keeping a lot of opportunities from happening. Which I think might tie into one of the other points. I don't know if I'm going to go off order, but it could also be a sign of not being able to handle yourself during a burnout stage. Yeah, we're going to talk about burnout in a second yeah. here. Um, but I want to be clear. I really believe in this. I heard someone say this once and I, I, I really resonate with this. I don't think most people miss opportunities. Like the things that pull you, that keep you back are not missed opportunities. It's not because you met, you didn't get that chance or you didn't meet this one person. It's because you can't handle your everyday opportunities. Yeah. Like you miss more opportunity by fucking up every little bits every single day yeah. than you do from missing a big one. Every, you're not going to get the big ones unless you don't fuck up on the small ones. So um, what what was the, I, I've missed the quote. I forgot it. Uh, my boy, uh, Trevor from Get It Done Music. He's the, 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 the boss over there at that sync label. He, yeah, he's like, people miss more opportunities by, um, Oh, but like everyday things rather than like the big ones. You don't mm-hmm. you don't miss opportunities by missing big opportunities. Like you miss them by making bad decisions every day. Yeah. So it's just like uh that I I'm a big huge proponent of that. Like work on yourself. The reason why I talked about this yesterday with a group of friends, but um the reason why I like running and why people like working out and and doing like this is the reason why it sucks and we still do it. Runners still do it is because I feel like when I'm running, I'm whittling between now, me, DK now, and DK 10 years in the future, mm-hmm. I'm whittling it down. So the only difference between happy, successful DK is a matter of time. Yeah. I'm like taking on the responsibility, eating shit, and, and proving to myself that it's not because I'm a complainer. It's not because I can't do hard things. It's, it's just time. Because I can't control fate. I can't control destiny. But I can control taking responsibility yeah. every single fucking day. And there's something that feels really good about that. Um, and nah. I think that's what, like, that's why I like running. Also, you stay thin. Oh, but we're not going to get into that. Number, yeah. number three. <laughs> number three. So I think stopping complaining is huge. Stopping yeah. complaining is a great sign that you're on the right path. Um, and I think that comes naturally. I think partially it's a decision, but it also partially comes naturally. Uh, number four uh, is is project management mm-hmm. and being able to, being proficient in automation or more importantly, being able to handle workloads. Yeah. So, so go, uh, hold, hold on, go ahead. Go yeah. ahead, go ahead, actually. I was going to say, um, a good sign that you're doing well is acknowledging that your roster of work doesn't actually have to be long. It just has to be efficient. This means that if you're not the type of person that can handle 10 projects at a time, then it's okay to only have five at a time. Just make sure you're getting them done right and that your client output is actually a pleasant one. The reason being is that a lot of people complain about the amount of work that they have versus the quality of work that they are putting out. A lot of times once they start getting more work, they never actually learned how to systemize. They never learned how to organize or balance their projects. They don't know. They don't know uh, for instance, like FilePass was a good one for me. Um, 
Uh, file pass is awesome. Yeah, having a whiteboard in the office. By the way, if you are interested in getting file pass, you said yeah. whiteboard is great too. Yeah. If you are interested in getting file pass, go to Mixing Music podcast.com slash file pass. Oh yeah. Uh, learning how to actually proper, like uh, send out emails with uh, the files and everything and giving up links and information on how to actually leave revision notes and things like that. So that everything's not all over your text messages. A lot of times, like if you started off with maybe one or two clients at a time, that was probably a lot easier to manage and balance. But once you get to a point where you're like, I have 10 clients and I feel like I'm struggling, it's very easy to have that battle in your head where you tell yourself you're failing versus trying to find the solution. Um, A lot of times those solutions is just systemizing your workflow. A good sign of growth in this is literally that having a better sense of balance, whether it's a small amount of clients that you're putting the balance together with, or you've now grown to a point where you can handle more clients. But if you started off with one or two at a time and you're able to manage now five at a time, that's a sign, whether it's double the number or not. Yeah. I think uh, to piggyback on that, it's, I think this comes partially naturally because this just comes from experience, Mm -hmm. but um, it might be also a decision. If you had huge, like if you, if your dreams came true and you had out people out the wazoo, you said, let's say you had 20 people ready to have you mix a single or an EP right now. They all came to you right now on the same day at the same hour. You it all hit your inbox. Everyone has a budget, yeah. a proper budget that fits your needs. Um, most people cannot handle that. Yeah. It, like most amateurs and people that are not mature enough as an engineer do not know how to handle that. And this is where having a little bit of business skill and being able to communicate effectively, um, being able to mitigate, uh, you know, like being able to figure out how long each project estimate, estimate how long it's going to take for you to finish these projects, estimate, um, you know, qualify each individual person, collecting payments from each individual person, hedging systems. Do you do, do all up front for all up front or half up front? Do you do all at the end? How do you do revision notes? Um, how do you balance and which know which songs are coming up next? Do you have a calendar that shows you approximately what date or date ranges you're going to have projects done by? I don't think most people that are amateurs have a system or have ever had a problem big enough to be able to handle that much workload. Yeah. And here's the thing. Um, I personally can speak on myself. I can, if I had 20 people, that's come up to me on the same day, same fucking hour. I can handle that easily. I have systems to make sure that that happens. We're not here. This episode is not talking about how we do those systems. There's lots of episodes about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's lots of different ways to do that and different ways that work for you. Um, but if you are the type of person that uses a calendar at the very bare minimum, it uses and follows your calendar, uses and follows a to-do list, uses and follows revision systems, um, communication system, answers your emails, things like that. Those are signs of really great maturity um, that you're experienced and that you're destined to do well or you currently are doing well. I think that's a really, really great sign. Being able to organize workloads. I'm um, also, I, there's been many times in my life, even, even um, I'm trying to think. When I was younger, I definitely struggled. I like, Projects fell in between the cracks all the time. Oh, I totally forgot to send this back to you. I totally forgot to do this revision. I'm not going to lie to you. The last two or three years, last last year to two years, uh, that hasn't happened actually. I'm I'm trying to like for the sake of this episode. I'm trying to like 
yeah, I can't think of a single instance that that happened in the last year or two. Um, but in the early stages of my career, that happened all the time. Projects fell between the cracks. I forgot about it. I didn't answer this person's text. They sent me the files and then the WeTransfer or expired. You know, that happens yeah. all the fucking time. Your WeTransfer expires. You have to have them send it over again. Um, you, you changed hard drives and they needed a project on the other hard drive and, you know, whatever. You, you, you didn't want to do that. You didn't want to do it. Um, things of that nature. That A great engineer, an experienced engineer, one that is currently doing great or is destined to do great, I mean, I think a great landmark or a sign of success is being able to handle that extremely well. Yeah. And it's easy to claim that like needing an assistant is a thing. And that's not totally true, at least not at the beginning stages. You know, that comes once you're doing like 10, 15 projects at a time. You know, Ooh. if you're doing less than 10 at a time, you don't actually need an assistant. You just need better systems. This is this is a thing that we talk about on different episode where I talk to a manager. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, it's not even worth picking you up as a as a as an artist or as an engineer. It's not even worth a manager is not going to ask to manage you. One that is professional, at least unless you're already making 80 to one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Yeah. So it's like you have to prove it that you can handle it on your own. You would just thrive better with that with a manager with the manager. Yep. So it's like that's that is huge. Um I think people over rely on man or management or think that that's the secret sauce that they don't have to do this. Yeah. No, you have to fucking do it. Yeah. A lot of people think like, oh, well, a manager can put you in the right room. That is true, but you have no track record. So you have to learn how to put yourself in the right room. You have to learn how to handle business on your own, how to negotiate. Yeah. For Why yourself. would they put you in a room if they can't prove that you know what to do in the room? There you go. I think the for in our case, I think the biggest point of a manager, one, is to make sure that they collect payment for you um, and chase people down because you don't yeah. want to chase people down. Number two is to have a third party talk you up. For yeah. example, it sounds way cooler. Be like, DK charges this much insane amount of money because he's the best versus me saying, I charge this much the same amount of money because I'm the best. There's yeah. there's it's the, there's that third party marketing, right? Where it's like you have someone third party tell you, say that, and then it's all of a sudden builds a lot more it's trust. It's a professional wingman. Yeah, professional wingman. Yeah. Like, I, I like to be a wingman to my friends. It's it's always fun. But it's because the end result is usually a lot smoother. Ooh, I'm adding. Can we can we do a side? I want to do a side. This will be number. This will be make the list number eight. Okay. Um, I think this is really important. Not only did we say able to organize workloads, I think a sign of a maturing engineer and a maturing entrepreneur in the music space in general is is being able to stand up for yourself. Oh, yeah. Being able to say no to big things. Yeah. Being able to know say, when to walk away. Knowing when to walk away. It's not a matter like I feel like sometimes people walk also, away too soon because of pride, but it's not a matter of pride. It's a matter of boundaries. Like you know yeah. what you can do. You know when you're gonna if you take this on right now, nobody's gonna be happy because it's too much work. Mm-hmm. You know, vice versa. I think another one is kind of like similar to knowing when to walk away or how to walk away. It's also understanding how to communicate through a uh I guess you could say an unideal situation. Mm. An ideal can mean anything. It could be a financial disagreement. It could be that um, either you're not getting paid enough or you haven't been paid yet. Um, split sheets have not been sent out. It could be anything that's a disagreement or that is a point where you believe a certain boundary has been crossed. Knowing how to communicate in that moment and stand up for yourself is extremely powerful. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. even in general, if you are, I think that if you are experienced, 
and someone challenged you on your price. Let's say, for example, I charge $200 a song and they're like, you charge $200. Can you do it for 100? No. And if that irks you or if you fall into it, then those are signs that, um, that you're not standing up for yourself. And, and, and the reason why I say irks you, like you feel like if you get upset by that, that means you are standing up for yourself. I, the reason why I say no is because you have enough experience to recognize that they probably don't mean ill will for it. Yeah. You, you recognize that you've probably failed to set the correct expectations to show yeah. them that you are more than worth $200. Yeah. Um, if you are ups- Okay. So that, that's another thing. It shouldn't irk you. You shouldn't have that ego that goes into the complaining bit. Um, so there's a lack of ego with experience as well. I feel like a good tell is when there's already been a planned response for those situations that is actually a lot more professional than it is emotional. Uh, For instance, anytime I'm willing to negotiate a drop in price, I usually ask for something of value in return. That's usually more than what I'm dropping for. And it's not like, oh, pay me in this amount. It's no, give me 25% of your song. Why? Because if I'm going to discount 25% of my price, I should be able to reap 25% of the work put in. Um, if, it's, if I'm working with an independent artist, I'm not going to lie to you. I say 100% until I'm paid in full. No, I just say, I say 20, 100% of anything that you make. Until I say I make 25% it full. of life. And then if they say, if they agree to it, I actually refuse to mix it. <laughs> no, no. As in, if, if they agree to it, then I'll be like, that something's wrong. Yeah. I'm not doing it. No, I say 25% for life because they're like, whoa. I don't know, because it feels like it might end up paying you more. It's like, yeah, that's the risk. That's exactly the risk. You could have paid me my full price or, um, you know, we can win together. I don't mind eating alongside you. But, you know, if if you're asking me to give you 25% of my food, then I expect 25% of yours. There you go. Yeah, um, it's it's uh, it's crazy, man. There's a. Uh... I, but I do think standing up for yourself, standing up for your price, standing up for your workload, standing for your up boundaries. for your business, for your boundaries, for your personal life, not just business life, but your personal life as well. A um, big one is uh, not letting going people to the talk gym. shit to you, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you call me while I'm at the gym and I'm mid lift or something like that, I'm I'm sorry. It could be really important, but this time is kind of time reserved for myself. And sometimes you also need to make sure that that's respectfully communicated. So that, yeah, it's it's not even about like, going to the gym necessarily it's about boundaries and like yeah. you you again yeah i like that where you said you have respect for yourself yeah um, that's it a could, sign it of could be important maturity. but can it wait an hour yeah 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 and and uh, this is something that uh a ceo of of one of my other companies he said um he said in business there's no such thing as emergencies it can wait that yeah. like if you call ups which is like a monday through friday nine through five service you call them and on a saturday and you realize oh my gosh there, no, nobody's going to pick up the phone just for you because it's an emergency. Yeah. You have to be okay that you, you fucked up and you can't call them until yeah. Monday morning at 9 a.m. Yeah. And it's like you're mad for about 10 minutes and then you get over, you forget about it, and then you do it on Monday because yeah. you recognize, oh, that was what I said. So it's like being able to recognize that, right? Having respect for yourself I think is a huge sign. And that, and that to be fair, um, sometimes ha- learning to respect yourself and your own boundaries does come from a lot of self or from other people abuse. It comes from a lot of being yeah. taken advantage of. Take, like, not At a really certain point, there's it. a breaking point. If you haven't experienced it yet, eh, you might want to push that push that situation. Yeah, and we're going to talk about uh, burnout in a second because yeah. that's, that's going to be a fun one. But the next point that I want to add is something that you as well added to your list, which is uh, being able to... Um, have better client experience 
Um, I worded it as being able to balance uh, creative and service. Mm-hmm. So we've always here on YouTube, on podcasts, that we work in a service industry. We've even I've even heard people go as far as like, if you work in audio engineering, then you should... Like it, it helps to have some sort of food industry serving type job. Yeah. Because it keeps you humble. It's really, it's, it's the worst. People are horrible. Um, and, but you still have to learn to be resilient. Yeah. And, and you, so what does it mean, Lou? When, I, when people say it's a service based industry, what does that mean in, as an audio engineer? So there's a difference between being a, I guess you could say, a product and a service provider. A product doesn't care if you have a good day or not. You know, when you buy an iPhone, the iPhone doesn't give a shit. When you go to Apple and they sell you a phone, they give a shit. There's a difference. One is just an item that you can take. It's intangible. Whatever you tell it to do, it will do. If it doesn't do it, probably broke. But when you go to the Apple store and they ask you, well, what kind of phone do you want? What color would you like? Um, What is your everyday job? What kind of usage are you going to be putting into it? Let's make sure that this is the right one. Reason being is that not everybody is going to be the same. Now, not everybody has the same personality either. Somebody might just say, well, I just want a fucking iPhone. It doesn't matter what color it is. I just want an iPhone. But knowing that you have to stay respectful and understand, look, this is not a personal thing against me. This is not anything that's even worth me arguing right now. But nonetheless, we still have to do our job. So whether the client is being difficult or not, it's understanding that at the end of the day, you're being paid to do a job. So whether you are personally offended by something, it's knowing how to actually move away from outwardly showing that. I think it's good to actually communicate, hey, you know what? Um, I don't necessarily agree with this. I don't think this is the right product for you. Or this may not be the right service provider for you. But outwardly showing aggression or any kind of emotional instability is not the route you want to go. That's true. I think, um, again, going back to the humility thing, what we do, we mix records. Right? Yeah. Like, we make, in the restaurant, we make salads. Yeah. We put together the salads. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, if somebody says really, they don't like olives. Really, people aren't going to, to the restaurant to eat a salad. They're going for the experience. Yeah. They want, some, they want to feel welcomed. People want to relax. People want to yeah. have a good time. It's the experience. The salad is just part of the experience. Oh, yeah. And so that's that's part of that service thing. Like, your mix, whether it's good or not, is obviously important. Mm-hmm. But it's not half as important as your ability to make sure that the client has a good time. Yeah. That you recognize the balance between them always being right, and they're also paying for your professional experience. Yeah. So it's like, if you disagree, to balance and correctly succinctly respectfully say i disagree and here's why let's try it mm-hmm. uh being able to recognize when you're wrong it's it's you're catering and creating an experience for your for your customers or for your clients and that um that is more important than whether or not you make a good fucking salad yeah a good example of this actually happened the other day not to me but it was the person in front of me at a mountain view tires over in eagle rock uh one of the guys behind the counter was talking to the client and the client's like oh um and i had just walked in at this point of the conversation so there was no context from before it but i really liked the way the guy communicated this where the guy says hmm he looks at the invoice he's like 
and this is for the bigger tires. He's like, no, I don't really recommend that you go with those tires because of your car. He's like, oh, okay. Well, the thing is, I actually wanted the bigger tires. He's like, just out of curiosity, why did you want the bigger tires? He's like, because I want the car ride to be smoother in my car. Thing to note, he has a Tesla. Um, Tesla bodies are all manufactured the same. There well, is, yeah, tes- there's EV tires are specific. Exactly. And they, have, they have sound dampening in them. So if you were to go with a larger tire and you were to turn. It'd be louder and it would graze up against the body. Yeah. Exactly. Causing damage to what? The car itself, right? The The whole idea was to make the car a smoother ride, but in result, you're going to end up damaging it. So instead of the guy telling him like, hey, you're stupid, don't do that. Like manufacturer doesn't say anything. He's like, hey, listen, um, just so you know, that has more to do with your shocks than your tires. He's like, oh, but I already replaced my shocks. I wanted to try the new tires. He's like, okay, um, we can do it if you'd like. I just want you to know two things. This is not manufacturer recommended. And I, as a human being, would actually highly recommend that you stay away from this because I don't want you to go home with a damaged car. As soon as you get home, you will have a missing bumper. He's like, hmm. But you guys would do it anyways, right? And he's like, yes, but I would not recommend it whatsoever. In fact, I would almost rather recommend you to someone else who is willing to do it because I would rather you have a good experience here than walk away with a broken car. And what did he say? What's the end of that story? He took the invoice. He's like, "Thank you. I'll consider it," and left. Okay, cool, cool. So, so we don't, we don't, we don't know what happened. We but, don't know what happened, but the way he handled the communication made it to where he was more willing to just say, "I would rather pass on the money than give you a bad product." Yeah. And sometimes that level of communication is what's needed. I do, I, I do see a lot of like Facebook amateurs, mm-hmm. like amateur, audio engineer amateurs on Facebook that ask questions like, "I don't want to." How do I get, I don't want to work with this client anymore. I don't want to put them on their portfolio because I think that what they're doing is so bad that I don't even want to put my name on it. Mm-hmm. I think that's too far. And yeah. that's a matter of ego. You need to shut the fuck up. Yeah. Um, nobody gives a shit whether your name is on a bad album or not. If <laughs> I hate to admit matter. this, but like. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to admit it. Most people don't check the credits. Like the the consumer You're, usually doesn't. No, yeah, and and more importantly, this is again something that we said on a previous episode. If the shitty client with the shitty yeah. record and something that you're super not proud of has a great time, they're still going to recommend you to other people. Yeah. So it's like, and that recommendation goes way better than having a good sounding record and them not liking you or them feeling neutral about you. Yeah. So it's, I'm telling you right now, it's the experience. Um. Yeah, and and that's a specific example like standing up for yourself and and sharing because that would hurt the client. The problem with mixing and the reason, my only caveat to that story is that with mixing, with audio, with music, everything is super subjective. Exactly. So it's like there is no manufacturers recommended. Mm -hmm. It's more like there's cultures and you'd be going against the culture, but that's also how you make hit records is going a little bit against the culture. I mean, think about most groundbreaking records – they were groundbreaking because there was nothing like There's it. There's like fusions of stuff, yeah. right? Yeah, of course. Um, so I think that's an important part to make. Being able to balance uh, client expectations, the service side of it, as well as creativity. Being able to still not being, uh, um, not being someone that just bends to everybody's will, you know? Mm-hmm. But being able to still be creative, but still recognize the lines of like, okay, I can be creative here, but also... Like, uh, I'm here to provide a service. So that's oh, yeah. huge, super huge. Okay, this is one that's going to uh, 
rub everybody wrong huh, in the wrong way, and I love it. Um, if you're good, you're not worrying about plugin settings. You're not worrying about plugins at all. I have a lot of plugins, and I use a lot of obscure ones. Yeah. Um, people ask me all the time while they're watching me mix, what plugin is that? What other plugin is I actually, honestly, I don't even think about what plugins I'm pulling up. I'm yeah. thinking about the sounds that I want, and, I and like, I'm instinctively pulling up some tools that I know yeah. that work to create that sound, and I'm also aware enough to recognize that, that it didn't work. If it doesn't work, it's not working. I'm recognized. But I feel like you have to learn the tools. You have to get mm. over the, val the valley of technical skill. Right. Yeah. You got to practice those scales if you're an instrumental, oh, if you're yeah. a piano player. You got to practice those scales. You got to know your scales. You got to go through that valley. But then there's going to be a point where it's like, I think it's, I think if you're thinking about your tools, overthinking about the tools that you use, and you think that's the sauce, you're, I would like to think that you're not doing well. Like it's, it's yeah. not. A great engineer, a great, if you're on the right track, a great landmark to figure out whether or not you're doing right is that you found yourself not even thinking about what plugins you're using and mm -hmm. definitely not thinking about a specific setting that you're using. No. It's just automatic. You're just not even, yeah, you're not thinking about it. So it's kind of funny because um, you see this a lot in live sound where there's kind of elitism behind the console that you use. I think there's many great consoles out there, um, but... Uh, you see people talking about like the Waves LV1 or the SSL Live Sound Console or the Soundcraft, the Yamaha, this and that. And what's funny is I'm uh, I'm a big backer of the Yamaha brand when it comes to live consoles because it's simple. It doesn't really have the extreme plug-in usage. You can actually do it. There's there's all kinds of things you can expand with it. But the point of this notion is that like we had a guy the other day that came by, really cool guy, but. Um, I could tell right away that something was going to be off when I noticed that he was using the Waves LV1 and every single channel on the console actually had like five to ten plugins Holy shit. running for a live show for just a vocalist, a backing vocalist, a guitarist, and a DJ. And I was like, when did the DJ, who has already produced tracks, really need this many plugins? Uh, once we started getting through soundcheck, first thing I noticed is he was immediately getting feedback. And it took about three hours to remove that feedback. When we did the original line check of everything, we had zero feedback. It was one of those things where he blindly relied on his originally queued up audio, but went into a new room, not realizing that that new room was going to sound different than what their sound check at a rehearsal venue was going to sound like. And because of that, he ended up walking into a ton of problems that he had to now walk back and then soundcheck took two hours longer than it needed to. Okay, so flexibility, malleable, uh, being malleable. Um, not only is that a sign of low EQ, but that mm -hmm. sh shows a sign of, sorry, low IQ, mm -hmm. but it's also a sign of immaturity, Yeah, for sure. Um, have, being set in your ways, having to use the same plugins every single time. Yes, we have habits. Yes, I use the similar plugins every single time on some yeah. of these tracks. I like the same tools, but it's it's... I'm not stuck to them. I'm not married to them. I, yeah. I'm, I'm willing to accept when it's not working. Um, that's a great example of that. Like yeah, that caused more problems, but they like, you know, was, and sometimes these systems, these super technical systems does solve a lot of problems. But in this case, it was, actually it was a matter of pride. Yeah, yeah. Cause uh, I would not fault him if it was the same line array system that he used before. If it was the same mics, the same in-ears, same, same monitors. Yeah. But here's the thing. It was monitors. He didn't use, uh, apparently he hadn't used them all tour long. He had not used the QSE line array system that whole year. Um, 
not only that, but he had not been using Sennheiser mics or in-ear systems. He had been using almost exclusively Shure for the entire tour, um, which means that everything would have actually sounded completely different, which means using the same template, so to speak, was actually the wrong approach. I think to wrap up this section before we move on to the next one, um, to wrap it up, mm-hmm. if you are still arguing about which DAW is more superior and switching between, <laughs> if you think, if, if the, the word yeah. DAW is in your vocabulary recently, yeah. then you are probably extremely inexperienced. Because I, I can't tell you the last time I thought, oh my gosh, I use Pro Tools and that's a thought that I have. Yeah. Uh, anytime I talk to a mastering engineer that tells me that they master in like Cubase or Pro Tools or anything, it's all the same to me. Reason being is that their end result speaks for itself. Yeah, like you that's know? not that's not a thought. Like if you're if you have the time to worry about whether or not which DAW works for you, yeah. that means you haven't had enough experience on one specific DAW where it, like and you haven't had enough experience where you still have the time and the emotional the emotional um, energy left to still fear. Like yeah. have FOMO. It's like, what am I missing out on these other DAWs? Yeah. It's like, if you if you were experienced enough, like it doesn't matter what you're missing out yeah. on. It's like you just stay hyper focused. Um, that's a sign of maturity as well. So we're we're gonna. Um, it's a great sign that you're on the right track. Um, this is the one that I want to talk about. Okay. The next point here is about burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is okay. I'm gonna word it like this. Every creative, everybody that's hardworking, workaholics. Um. Everybody at some point has a high risk of burning out. Yeah. Almost everybody burns out at some point or gets really close to completely burning out and quitting. I wouldn't even say almost everybody. I'd say everybody. Okay. What I'm not going to say is that burning out is a sign of maturity. But I am going to say that the sign of maturity and a sign of great work mm-hmm. is someone that has gone past the whole call burnout and yeah. is still somehow able to balance getting excited. Yeah. It's like, even though this is the most bullshit thing I've ever done, not making enough money, these clients are the worst, whatever, you still are capable of getting excited because at the end of the day, even after burning out, you still fucking love music. Yep. That is a huge sign. There's a couple things you can put into play to help you out. Some of them have to do with the work itself and some of them don't have anything to do with the work. Uh... I would venture to say that us doing our own like fitness things, like I go to the gym, you do running. Um, would you not say that that also completely emotionally separates you from your work of the day? Oh, yeah. Or just like what I work on, the type of music that I work on versus the type of music that I personally enjoy. Totally different. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's kind of funny. Um, I went through a pretty bad burnout uh, recently to the point where I actually opted to start denying work that did not suit any kind of emotional value for a little bit. Um, I still take on work that, you know, even if I don't want to do it, you know, I, it's work nonetheless, you know, who goes to, who gets hired at a job and says, you know, I don't feel like coming in today and your boss not fire you. Right. Um, but, um, for some people, it's getting away, taking a break, uh, having different hobbies outside of it. Some people need to take time away from the projects that they're no, not really inspired by. And that's kind of the the sign that you're kind of starting to feel like, okay, it's not that I want to walk away. I just need to be a little more in control of how this is affecting me and how often it affects me. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think the skill of staying excited past burnout 
mm-hmm. is crucial. I mean, I'm thinking about the greats of the greats. Yeah. I mean, imagine someone like Tony Maserati. You see in interviews with him today. There's yeah. no doubt that that man has been burned out. There's no, that guy has been doing so much work for so long that there has to be a point where he's like, this is, this is cutting close to my limit. Yeah. He's probably hit his limit multiple times. Anybody that has made a living with any sort of creative entrepreneurial endeavor mm-hmm. has hit burnout. Yeah. You know, or gotten close to it. Um, but still, when you hear Tony talk about music on these interviews, on these short Instagram, YouTube clips, you can tell the dude gets excited. Oh, yeah. And I think that's the same thing, like, um, uh, even with podcasters, we're outside mm-hmm. of music in any sort of creative endeavor. You could tell when someone's excited. And yeah. it's the people that are able to somehow balance their excitement and their original passion for the love, along with the difficulty and the problems that comes with doing it for a living, mm-hmm. is a great sign of, a, of integrity, emotional security, um, maturity, as well as you're doing well. Like, I think yeah. that's a sign that you're doing well and that you're on the right path, right? Which is the point of this episode. Um, this, I mean, I can't tell you the amount of times that I've gone through complete and total burnout because I'm a fucking workaholic. Yeah. I do not know how to slow down. I only know how to ramp up. If you're wondering how much so, um, I don't usually flex this sort of stuff, but this last week was my birthday. And, um, I, I don't know how to slow down so much that I ran 30 miles for my 30th birthday and I turned 30 last last week. Uh, that's w- more than a marathon. I woke up that morning. I'm like, I give up already. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, I, I was running 30 miles. I actually ended up running 31 because go fucking one more, right? Uh, but I ran 31 miles for my 30th birthday while people were still recovering from drinking too much, poisoning themselves too much the night before. Like, that was me. That's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's like, there's this thing. What I'm not recommending is for you to become a workaholic, but what I am recommending is that a great sign and something that you should strive for is that after you burn out, which everybody does, you're not special for burning out. Um, after you burn out, can you still have the power? Can you find the power to, to keep going? Do you love it that much? I think everybody and their dog is like, I'd be willing to do anything to be in the music industry. Mm. I mean, think about all the interns that's like come works with us and they're like, I'm willing to do anything. I'm willing to suck dick to be in the music industry full time, but I'm not willing to clean your fucking toilets twice. Yeah. You know, it's like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, of course. Shit sucks. You know, it sucks. Before you got into it, you didn't get into the music industry because you thought it was going to be easy. Like you understood there was this, there was this thing. You understood that it was going to be difficult. Yeah. embrace it take responsibility and and figure out a way to still find enjoyment out of it do you do you find um i know for a fact that the music you work on is different from the music that you enjoy and that's totally okay (laughs) it's it's actually kind of hilarious because a lot of people view them as like polar opposites but like uh this past weekend um bob horn recommended a session to us and it was with this artist named mad gallica who Funny enough, my best friend, um, the day before he moved recently, um, last thing he did in L.A. was go see a band called Ghost. Uh, it's a metal band. Um, turns out Mad Gallica was the keyboardist for the band at that Mad concert. Mad Gallica. Yeah. Um, she was the keyboardist for the band at that show. For Metallica? No. no for, <laughs> but it was like, it was really funny because it was one of those where... Um, 
Ian, who interns for us, like he's recently been doing electronic music, but he actually started off as the one kid at school that only does electronic music that didn't do electronic music, but now he's doing electronic music. I'm the guy that grew up listening to metal and now does like hip hop R&B. And that's where most of my credits are at. But here I am like sitting in a session doing like rock opera stuff and just having a blast listening to like these massive stacked vocals. And I'm like, Oh, I'm in my bubble right now. Oh, this session is just heavenly. Yeah, I think it's interesting because um, what I'm not, uh, what I'm not alluring to, alluding to, is the idea that um, you have to keep your personal taste and your work taste separate. No. I think that's more of uh, a side effect of knowing what you like and being able to adapt. M- like, because here's the thing: I used to have there was um. Uh, when I did marriage counseling, so I, I did marriage counseling before we got married. Mm-hmm. Um, I care way too much about people. I'm like really, uh, not. I know that's crazy to you now because I've hardened up a lot since we've met. <laughs> uh, but I used to care way too much about people. I hated confrontation. I hated making people unhappy. I was a people pleaser. Um, now I'm just fucking honest, no matter how difficult mm-hmm. it is, and you know that it's a much more relieving lifestyle, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, so on a personal level, yeah, it's so much more relieving. I have the stress of caring about people. Anyway, I had um, the way that the therapist or our friend would talk about this would be like everybody has a certain amount of emotional dollars every day, mm-hmm. and you can if you spend it on listening to someone else trauma dump on you, then you're not going to have enough by the time you get home to talk to your wife. You're not going to have enough emotional dollars to spend on her. Yeah. And at that time, I cared so much about everybody else. And like people were having a hard time. I would go out of my way to try to, you know, help them out, which, mm-hmm. you know, I still try to do, but I'm a lot more weary of how much emotional dollar I have. Yeah. I, he would say that I had a pole in my, a hole in my pocket and emotional, emotional dollars, money just kept draining out and I wasn't even noticing it. Yeah. And so I was just emotionally drained. And I think that's the point that I'm doing too. Like, it's not that you don't spend your emotional money helping people. It's mm-hmm. the fact that you're more aware of how much you do have yeah. and you spend your emotional dollars very wisely. Yeah. I need to spend it on my clients today. My son is having a birthday. I need to spend it on him. I know that my wife is going through some stuff right now. I need to spe- spend yep. it with her. Um, and then, yes, I have a friend who wants a mix done and I'm willing to do it for free. I'm going to spend a little bit there because mm-hmm. I have enough left over. It's, it's more about, so it's the what you're talking about, like taste being different from what you work on is more of a side effect or, or as a It's kind of a, a secondary a funny end result. Yeah. yeah. It's not what's intended. It's an unintentional yeah. outcome. Yeah. It's not. So what we're trying to say is you, you know your emotional money that you have and you spend it wisely. Um, and that goes into boundaries too in general. You know, it's a funny, uh, beautiful twist about that though. Like when you end up working on a genre you didn't intend to work on, it's the ultimate sign that somebody gave you their trust even if you weren't the one that was uh i guess a listener of their genre to be honest i still i get extra excited over weird music and music that i don't outsider music yeah even outside music like but i mean like i get weirdly excited over songs that most people would say no to yeah like i get weirdly excited i think it's like kind of like a hero complex is it is it like the challenge it's i think it is the challenge it's the zelda puzzle yeah, it's the challenge of like, <laughs> can I do this? Yeah. And it's 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 fun. Or more importantly, it's like in my mind, I've created a reality where it is fun because in the opposite sense, I could very easily turn look at it and be like, no fucking way I'm doing this. Yeah. But I'm also saving enough emotional dollars where I can 
be able to enjoy a challenge, right? Yeah. So I think that's what it comes down to. Um, there's two more points that we want to make. The last one is is a controversial point, and we're going to openly on air talk about why or why not. We're going to debate. Mm. Uh, but this last one here, the last poignant point. <laughs> poignant point. Is, uh, Say if, that five if you're times doing fast. well, if you're doing well, you're, your money, most of your money is coming from returning clients. Yeah. Uh, that's a sign that you're doing well. Yeah. Um, I, I would say if your business is set up to most of your income is coming from first time clients, you're either inexperienced or you're a fucking liar because mm-hmm. you, you give them a shitty product and they don't come back. Yeah. So yeah. you're, 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 it's over, usually you're a over red promising. Flag. Oh yeah. Over promising under delivery. Yeah. Um, so I actually met somebody who kind of had that as a weird flex, um, they, he was talking about how he has like two or three new clients every week. And, um, I kind of thought about that. I was like, which can two, be good, which it, can, it be, can good. be good. It can be good. But when you think about two, three new clients a week, we're talking about how many weeks in a year? 56, right? So let's just say it's two. That's uh, 112 new clients per year. Hold on. Oh, is it 54? Hold on. Weeks? Is it 54 or 56? Oh my gosh. I'm blanking. Weeks in a year. I, I, okay. 52. 52. 52. Okay. Yeah, that's what so let's say it's two new clients a, a week, right? That's 104 mixes a year. Let's say that you're charging 300 bucks. That's what? 30 grand? 300 bucks times 100. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. It's about 30 grand. That's, that's not bad for, for new client revenue. Right. But, um, he never ever spoke about like working with the same client twice. Like he had like bigger credits, but then as he, uh, as he started doing these promotions, um, I noticed that he was offering like hundred dollar mixes. I was like, wait, yeah. why are you not, only, why are you only point. charging a hundred dollars per mix? And they were only a hundred bucks, uh, you do not offer two, discounts. three new clients. <laughs> Per week, I'm like, okay, so if it's a hundred, um, we're only talking about ten grand a year. This guy drives a Tesla. I'm like, there's no way this is the majority of his money. Uh, it's got to be something else. Only then did I find out from somebody else, like a year later, that, that he's selling um, crack to buy that. No, Tesla. no, no. <laughs> um, that it was his interns mixing it, and he would just slap his name on it. Um, and, uh, one of the people that I found this out from was a friend of mine that I ended up being the mixer for. Surprisingly, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. <laughs> Until you find out that the guy's Grammy winning multi I'm still cool with that. Yeah. Even more. I'm actually more cool with that if he's doing that well. Yeah. But there was no promoting of who's doing the mix. It was just, Hey, I'll mix your songs. The marketing saying I will mix your songs, but he never touched it. I think, I think that that is actually really genius. A great way to scale. Um, but I do think it's interesting. And then if, okay, that's different. Cause you're talking about an experienced cat who has a name. He's created a name yeah. and then he's monetizing his name by outsourcing work okay. using his name. That, that but the issue is not that he's outsourcing the work. It's that the quality is bad. So people aren't coming back. No. And that's going to bite him in the butt in the future. Oh, it already has. Uh, I've noticed that he's completely stopped marketing it and to the point where like he's lost a good chunk of his reputation over it. That's the great thing about capitalism is that there's going to be people that take advantage of people, psychopaths that that really take advantage of the system. 
Um, but the cool thing about it is that people that are offering shitty products and doing a shitty job, uh, eventually, it may take a long time, but yeah. they're eventually going to fail. Yeah. And that is the one sure thing about capitalism is that if you have a shitty project product or you're will not willing to pivot with the times, if you're mm -hmm. not willing to innovate, you are going to fail, which is great. You can have uh, a great product, but if you oversell and underdeliver it, that's why, that's why, I mean, like, they, we were doing a One Bite Reviews with Dave Portnoy. I was, like, watching a few of them yesterday. Mm -hmm. He's like, one of the shops that he gave his highest review on is like, you can tell this pizza's going to be good because they don't have a telephone number. Uh, you can't order before, and you can't buy individual slices. You can only buy the whole pie. Like, yeah. that is the worst customer service ever, and they've been around for decades. You know this shit is going to be good because, yeah. like, it's so good that they don't have to pivot. They don't have to innovate. They don't have to modernize anything. Yeah, and people will—they still make money. I mean, if they did have a telephone number, if they did do all this stuff, I mean, with p making pizzas, there's like limits. You can't scale. Yeah. Like you can only hire so many people and, and run such a big. You can pizza only make shop. so many per hour. Yeah, exactly. But the point is, it's like <laughs> you got to have a fucking good problem. And the problem with mixing is that there's no such thing as like an objectively greater pizza that can withstand decades without having a t phone number. Yeah. Like you're going to, as yeah. a mixer, you're going to, in, in this scenario here, you're going to have to get a phone number. You're going to have to get a website. Yeah. You're going to have to keep doing this. You, you have to keep innovating and you have to keep growing your business. Okay, anyway, I'm, I'm kind of getting on a big tangent here. But that's that's a really, really good point. And the point of this, the point of this one, the last point is returning clients. I've heard a phrase... Money is made not from new clients, but from returning ones. Yeah. Um, that is true. I mean, if you have, think about barbers. If the bar, like, it takes so much work to constantly have a flow of new clients. Yeah. It's so much easier. You build rapport, you build trust. It's way easier to have returning clients. Mm -hmm. um, and during the growing phase, and even now, like, I have new clients every single day, mm -hmm. but it's for the same AR. Yeah. It's the same producer. Sometimes I get a chance to win over a producer, but that's few and far between. Most of my money is the same producers every single yep. time, the same artists every single time. Um, and I've never made as much money as I do now and with the least amount of change. You know? yeah. And I've had like, don't get me wrong, every year I get new clients, but I'm not, my income is not based on new clients. It's yeah. mostly based on returning ones. See, and that's where I hate to say, but it definitely inflates my ego. Every once in a while, whenever I think about like how mine is, because I don't really promote that much. I'm very bad at social media, but thankfully, the people that I've worked with over the years, I just treat them the, the way they honestly deserve to be treated most times. Like, and I say most times because I know I can drop the ball sometimes. You know, I'm not I'm not a perfect person. I don't think anybody is. So there's going to be issues. My wife, but... my wife, my wife is perfect. No, oh, okay, there you go. <laughs> Mine farts once in a while. <laughs> and they're smelly, but I love them. <laughs> but um, no, like, honestly speaking, like, um, you can't expect to hit the mark 100% of the time. As long as you're hitting it 99% of the time, 98% of the time, then you're good. Once you start losing 5%, you, you got to shape up, right? But, you know, I, I can confidently say that some of the biggest deals I've ever made in my life are always based on word of mouth. I like I don't I don't think I've ever landed a massive deal based off of cold calls or anything. Yeah, in fact, that's kind of like a red flag. If I get an email and it says, "I don't know anybody that you know. I I I just Google searched you." 
Yeah. That's a huge red flag. For like me. if I get a message on Instagram from a studio saying like, hey, if you ever interested in booking studio time with us, just so you know, an engineer comes with the first session. It's like, one, I'm an engineer. And two, I own a multi-room studio. You obviously didn't even look at who I am. Yeah. Like, think about that. Like, if you're out there trying to look for new clients and you've already started off without even just getting to know them first before messaging them, it's kind of a red flag. Yeah. And I, I think this is just it's common sense stuff that yeah. people are kind of forgetting about. Um, returning clients, man, continue. And again, that comes from being humble, having being service oriented. Mm-hmm. And making passionate. sure their experience is great. Yeah. And I think if you do everything that we said before, you will have returning clients. Yeah. Uh, returning clients is a sign that you are doing well. Yeah. Um, lastly, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. This is an interesting one. We wrote down being requested to be a mentor. Yeah. Being requested or having people ask you questions. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is not just uh, uh, a debate about whether or not that's a sign that you're doing well, but also I'm going to have some commentary about the people asking. Yeah. People people ask the requesting party. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um I'm gonna you're on the side of that's a sign. And I'm gonna be I'm purposely gonna be a devil's advocate and, and uh sure. debate against you on this one. Why why is being asked to be to to be a mentor a good thing? Why is that? It's I because your public image has increased. Mm, whether yeah. that yeah, whether that be one percent or fifty percent, whatever it is. You're imaging your branding, the trust. Okay. You you you're, have enough trust just going into it. Yeah, because people are looking at you as a source of uh trusted information and practices. And they want to acquire said information and sense of practice, right? So they're looking to you to actually help them grow. So you are now a beacon of growth. In their eyes, at the very least. Whether that's true or not, it's there in their eyes. Being asked to become somebody's mentor is actually a very... It's humbling, and it's also intimidating. Reason being is you have to challenge yourself even more now to really prove that you should be anybody's mentor at all. The fact that you said those two words, that's a really healthy relationship to be because on the opposite hand, you can have someone that's fucking prideful and it's like, no, I'm the best, of course. Yeah, but then they don't really know shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The the humbling part of it is like, wait, you want me to mentor you? Like, the fuck do I have to offer you? Like, I'm still trying to figure this out. But... Um, I'm a big believer that you don't know something unless you can teach it to a five-year-old, right? So if somebody is kind of putting in the trust in you to be able to teach them, you also need to make sure that you really know what you're talking about because you could guide somebody down the wrong path. Also, I I will challenge you on this because if if you can teach compression to my five-year-old, I will be so happy. Actually, I can. (laughs) And we just need a teddy bear. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. (laughs) Uh, I have a really sad example of a clipper with oh, a teddy bear. Oh my gosh, just ripping its head off. Yes. <laughs> just like, all right, this is the threshold of the clipper. It's the scissors. Here's Teddy. He passed the scissors. <laughs> anyway, anyway uh, but yeah, no, um, being asked to mentor, this can be intimidating. Yeah. But you have control. You're also confident. Yeah. You now actually have a situation where you might actually have an extra hand to help you grow as well. I like the idea that it's a sign of progress that because that means because I think like trust Mm -hmm. is earned 
but also sometimes trust is given if you have great marketing and PR. So the yeah. reason why posting on TikTok, posting on YouTube, posting on Instagram works so well is that you're creating avenues. You're giving information freely. You're showing that you know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you're kind of being assertive and you're generating trust. So you have an image of trust before anybody's actually worked with you. Yeah, And that, again, everything that we do is breaking down the barrier of trust. That's you're just right. If, if, if you are being asked to mentor, that's a sign that you're doing the right thing because you at least have an image of trustworthiness, an image of responsibility, an image that you know what the fuck is going on, which yeah. I think is really valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly speaking, uh, some of the most rewarding things that you can do in this career is be able to help another person start theirs. Mm-hmm. There's actually a really good sense of pride when you can say it's like, oh, like, so like if you were to, you know, follow the practice and just give it time, I can assure you that like things will go well. And I know that's like a blind statement because you can't guarantee anything, but you can at least guarantee like, hey, if you have the practice, if you have these, um, I guess, uh, I guess you could say like these uh, habits, then typically you'll be better off than most. Right. Yeah. Um, and then later on, it takes time, but seeing people grow into who they become is actually a really sweet trade-off. Like you don't get anything from mentorships. Like there's some programs out there that yes, will charge you for a mentor. Like uh, the the recording connection will charge you to be an intern, which is the dumbest fucking thing in the that's, world. That's, um, that's uh, like I wrote a curriculum for them, but I mean that's how like, valuable that, like they're is. great, right? Yeah. Um, and it's it's a worthwhile education because they can put you in a room that otherwise you wouldn't be qualified for. Uh, for instance, you can actually pay to be Dave Pensado's intern. Um, that's crazy. Yeah, it's not cheap, but uh, the reality is the trade off there is access to the room, right? But the only thing that that school can't guarantee is that you'll be allowed to stay in the room after that. It's all about the practice and the habits that you have. But part of being somebody's mentor is helping them develop the ones that can actually get them into the room that they want to be in. You may not always have the resources required to actually get them to where they want to go, but at the very least, you can help them develop the habits and the skill sets that can help them better qualify to be in the right room. You can at least be the one that can help them, uh, you know, jumpstart their career. Yeah. And we've seen it a lot in our own studio. And that's why I say like a good sign of growth is being asked to be somebody's mentor because that also means that you're at a stage where you need to kind of own up and say, I'm not ready to be able to lead and I still have much more to grow or I'm going to take this responsibility and make it part of my chapter. Yeah. I, I do think it's a good idea where if you are being asked if they can intern for you, if I think it's a good idea to create system. That's what we've done. That's how we keep our studio afloat Yeah, is we've spent hundreds of hours, potentially thousands of hours working on making sure the intern program is as, as high quality as possible. And it's not going to happen right away. Definitely hundreds. Well, I would, I would actually agree to that in in one sense where it's like right away, whatever system you put in place is going to have flaws. Every system has flaws. I know ours still You have to continue to pivot. Yeah. So the only way you're going to figure out what those flaws are is by putting time and recognizing what those flaws are and putting time into correcting them or finding solutions, even if it's in the meantime or a permanent one. Yeah. How do you know if your sights are aligned until you shoot one? Yeah, exactly. And then you have to realign, right? Um, Okay. So uh, I'm arguing saying that that's not necessarily a sign of success. Yeah. Um, Because, and this is a warning to both parties here, on the party Mm -hmm. of the one receiving the request, um, 
the, the cool thing about what we do is that everybody wants to do it because it's cool. Yeah. Everybody wants to do it. Um, and I know some people that kind of let that get to their heads or they fail miserably and they're not able to provide the service that they wanted to. So then they start to feel insecure about it. There's, there's two camps of that. Most people are okay, mm-hmm. but that is something to be aware about. Number two, and this is for the asking party. This is for the asking part, the person asking for mentorship and internships. Um, one, recognize that not everybody has the time. Um, yeah. Expect more no's than yeses. And number two, do your research. Meaning, <laughs> be, even as far, and this is a challenge that I say often on this podcast. I am, in, in, for, the, for the sake of argument, right? As a professional podcaster, I'm making money from ad revenue, right? And from these exclusive content that we release every, every Wednesdays and Thursdays. Go to mixingmusicpodcast.com slash exclusive for technical tips on how to make your tips better, mix better. Okay, but anyway, the point is, um, you should be wary about me. And I've created a PR brand that shows what the fuck I'm doing. But I'm going to be honest with you. When I first started, I thought I knew what I was doing. But I was a little bit uh, not acting because I really was genuinely delusional enough to think that I knew everything what was going on. But um, I learned quickly that I have a lot more to learn to grow. And now, now when I speak, I know I challenge you. If you don't think, if you are questioning whether or not I'm a valid source for information, which you should be doing. You should always be questioning whether someone is a valid source of information. Go listen to my fucking portfolio. Go to Spotify. Go go on my website. Look at my client list. Look at my list of my portfolio. Do my mixes sound good? And if you do not, I, I leave the right to you. If you do not think they sound good, then I would heavily suggest you go find, you find information someone else by someone that you do respect. Or at least... Take into consideration um, my results versus, so the advice that I give versus the results that you want. The person that you do not, like as a parent, the person that I do not want advice from is the guy who, who had kids that were depressed and suicidal. I do not want to have parenting advice from that guy, even if he's willing to give it. Even in fact, even if he's first in line, especially if he's first in line to want to give that, I do not want to listen to that advice. You know, so um, this is the same thing with mixing. If you ever question anything that I do, if if you hear me say that linear phase on the Fab Filter fucking sucks and is the worst thing that you can do, and you're like, but everybody on TikTok told me that linear phase is better. First off, read the manual because the manual says it's not better. Number two, listen to my portfolio. Learn, take the time to figure out whether or not I'm good or not. And here's the thing: I'm going to talk my shit right now. Anybody that has is a bigger fan of the podcast. I'm going, to tell, I'm going to say that out loud right now. Anybody that has taken the time to listen to my portfolio is a bigger fan of the podcast than anybody else. By the way, podcast, my, my portfolio is const, constantly updated. Got a lot of cool songs on there. A lot of crazy songs, a lot of really mainstream songs, a lot of really normie songs, really weird songs. A very diverse set of portfolio there. Um, and I'm always updating it. I got like 100 plus followers on Spotify for it. I don't have it on Apple Music. I'm sorry, or Title or anything else. Um, but <laughs> Mine's yeah. on Title, so I'm on the losing side. Yeah, there you go. Mine's like publicly <laughs> available. Anyway, um, do that. And I think that's more. Like, there was a crazy. There's a book that I read, um, and a crazy statistic. Something like over ninety percent of professional speakers about wealth, people that speak on how to earn enough money, how to make more money, how to earn the, the, the lifestyle of your dreams. People mm-hmm. that professionally tour and speak on how to do that. 
like it was like close to 90% of those people don't have what they're teaching. Mm-hmm. So like they make money from teaching it, but they themselves don't have what they're, it's like an astounding, scary amount. Yeah. I was about to say 90% oddly feels comfortably fitting just because uh, we're in entertainment and we kind of understand that sometimes you just need a front man for the business, you know, but that's still really sad to hear. It's There's, still really it's sad. It's really to hear. sad. Because think about all the YouTube ads that you see, all the Instagram ads. It's like, let me tell you how I made five hundred thousand dollars selling condoms. I don't know. <laughs> it could be something really <laughs> it could be something really weird. But like there's always like a get, it's it's always a get rich quick scheme and sex sells. I hate to say it, but you know, it does. Get rich quick. That's my my grandpa, um uh his biggest flaw is that he always thought that he was the smartest in the room. And because of that, he'd always fall for the get rich quick scheme. And he never got out of debt until he was like 84. My dad bailed him out. Um, Just like perpetually poor because one, two things, he always thought that he was smarter than everybody else. And Mm -hmm. he always went for the get rich quick uh, schemes because of that. Um, Yeah. Okay. First off uh, that, that, that is a sign of the time as well. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go on anymore, but this is, this is, um, it's quite the list. It's quite the list, dude. So I think that you should fact check. I think you should. So the the if you're seeking for mentorship, make sure that you like that person. Yeah. Make sure that that person is actually doing the mixes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we was yeah. talking about earlier. Um, that you like that person's mixes and not their intern's work. Um, but I think that that's why, and that's part of the reason why um, I think that I'm doing well. And I know it. Mm-hmm. And I'm able to talk this much shit on a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say the one thing, though, is that there's also, in what we do, there's so much nuance. Mm-hmm. There's no objective truth. This mm. isn't science. There's so much nuance. And so where does my confidence come from? My confidence and my surety that I'm right doesn't come from me actually being factually correct. Yeah. It comes from just peer review. Yeah. I've had a lot of happy clients. I make money. Mm-hmm. I do well. People listen to the pod and that has led to me being like super open about my portfolio. Go to my website, go to my portfolio, just listen. You know, there's no objective end goal. So I wonder, and we can say like one sentence about this. I wonder if we missed one. What? Um, a or lot what? of people in a beginning stage have a a toxic competitive nature versus a healthy competitive nature, meaning that they'll look at another studio or another engineer and just talk shit infinitely. The, you might not like every studio you run into or every engineer you run into, but it'd That's be a waste of time. Bit. It'd be a waste of time for like you not to want to be friends with your competition, even if that's oh. the case, right? Like part of a, a inflated ego is also recognizing or the inability to recognize that your mutual love for your work with somebody else in this industry could actually benefit you more than you talking shit or trying to ignore that person or trying to one up that person on a regular basis. Yeah, uh, that, I think, yeah, that's a great point. I want to summarize it by saying that if you're doing well, then the more you realize not only so going back to point number two, which is uh, less complaining, you stop complaining. But I think a sign of stopping complaining and what you're talking about is abundance mentality. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to get into abundance mentality versus scarcity mentality. YouTube it, Google it. I know a lot of people under kind of understand the general idea of that. But if you are doing well, then the idea that there's not enough money in this industry 
the idea that there's too many there's uh, too many too much supply of engineers and not enough demand for engineering work. Those ideas don't scare you because at the end of the day, you know that you provide something cool. You're competitive, yep. and that um, it's going to be all right. Yeah, and those are signs that you're doing well. It, here's the thing. Factually speaking, there's the least amount of money in the music industry compared to any other industry. Like the mm-hmm. only other industry that could be doing worse is like voice uh, acting carbon, for car, carbon fiber shoes. Okay, that's I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Voice like, acting for Instagrammers? Carbon fiber clothing. Voice acting for no, that even that has a anyway. That's you have to be super specific, but there's no okay. Anyway, there's there's but here's the thing. If you let that get to you, um, you're probably not going to do well. Not Here's the thing. I think that that's both chicken before the egg. I think that's both. Like I think it's a sign that you're not doing well, mm-hmm. but it's also what you're doing is you're also saying affirmations that you will not do well. Yeah. You are proclaiming to the world that you are unable to do it and that you are giving up. Yeah. So you are affirming that you're not going to do well, but it's also a sign that you are currently not doing well. So for example, people... Um, People who constantly hate on the general idea of the rich mm-hmm. are literally cursing themselves to stay poverty, stay poor forever. Yeah, like it's literally just um, affirming that you're going to stay in poverty. Yeah, that's what that's what it is. There's no other way to look at it. The more you talk about something, the more you actually, whether intentional or unintentionally, move towards that direction. The more you say you hate the color blue, the more you avoid it just out of wanting to keep true to what you said in the past, rather than being willing and open to trying to see the way of liking the color blue. Yeah. So um, I think that's the last note is um, it's okay to have that abundance mentality. It's okay. You know, it's it's true. There's not a lot of money in our industry, but there's always a there's always a blue ocean out there that you can dip your toes into. There's if red ocean. We have friends versus- that can pay for their mortgage and feed their family in this industry. You can find a way to just because they have a few more higher end clients just means that they've been around for a little bit longer and built a little more trust. And they've consistently been putting out a quality output with a great experience to their clients. Does not mean that you will not have a chance with the future artistry or whoever you're working with. So, I mean, and obviously we'll probably come with sacrifice, but that's definitely possible. I mean, for, for my, ever since we had, so for five years now, I have been the single breadwinner making all of my money from independent artists. Most until recently, it was mostly independent artists, Mm -hmm. 80% independent artists for the last four years up until this last year. Um, and I was a single breadwinner. We weren't, we never went into debt. We were able to make money. We're able to live and move to LA there's sacrifices, terrible. I'm like lifestyle sacrifices that I had to make. Um, but it's possible. Like, oh man, I, I have I have so much passion about like the people that go and hate on Dave Ramsey when he gives like, hey, if you're if you're living in LA and you're making six thousand dollars, you could be saving tens of thousand dollars every single year. And people are like, well, six thousand dollars in LA is poverty. You can't possibly do that. Yeah, if you fucking stop going out to eat. Holy shit. I'm yeah. I'm living proof that you can do that with like thirty, forty thousand dollars. Like I've done that before. Yeah. You know, so it's like um maybe not tens of thousands of dollars in savings, but definitely not something uh uh small either. Um it's, anyway. It's so easy to spend three hundred bucks on a dinner for two in LA. 
That is an insane amount. Of, I've never spent that much money on dinner. I, I so I, easy yeah. is a big word. Hold on, that's a, easy is a big strong <laughs> word for that because I've never even gotten half of that before. I've gone out to sushi and I haven't even paid for that much with a family yeah. of four. Yeah. Holy shit, three hundred! It is easy to spend three hundred dollars on dinner I, I in say LA. Spe- I specifically say in LA because there's a lot of yes, budget friendly restaurants that are still really good, but then then. You know, if you wanted to go out and pretend you live that lifestyle or you wanted to eat out like that uh, even once every couple months, right? You could throw a rock in L.A. and hit a restaurant that will give you a bill for 300 bucks. Okay, well, on that note, then I will say and proclaim and generalize to say that it's easy to feed a family of four with a grocery budget of fi- less than $500 a month. It yeah. is easy. That is easy to do. Uh, so <laughs> that is the yeah. level of <laughs> we're talking about easy. Uh, anyway, um, thank you so much for listening to the Mixing Music Podcast. Again, check out our sponsors, MixingMusicPodcast.com. Support us in that way. Uh, if you are interested in learning more, getting three times the amount of episodes, go to MixingMusicPodcast.com slash exclusive for two extra episodes every single week in the exclusive content. That is $4 a month or $40 a year um, for me and, and uh, me talking shit. No, not talking shit, but giving actual real advice based on what other people say and critiquing what other people saying, breaking myths or empowering good ones. Um, and here we are. Thank you so much for listening. Anybody that's left a five-star review that has left a couple nice words or comments on the different platforms that helps us a lot. We are literally just past 800,000 downloads. We are on our way to 1 million fucking downloads that I believe that we can get by early to mid next year. Yeah. I think we're on track to get it early to mid next year. A million downloads for this humble niche, super niche podcast. We are the number one audio post-production podcast in the fucking world. And that is thanks to you. Big round of applause. Big round of applause. Thanks to y'all. Thank you so much for listening. Happy mixing, my friends. And stay saucy. We're going to take a quick break to let you know that this episode has been brought to you by Tegler Audio based out of Berlin. Tegler makes fantastic analog pieces of equipment. Everything from compressors, both tube, VCA as well, from reverbs to recording channel strips to tube summing mixers and to my favorite piece that I personally own and have and use is the Schwarcraft machine, which is digitally controlled compression, 11 different types of compressor. I mean, this thing is built to the brim with tubes and transformers it's fantastic they have digitally controlled analog gear which i'm a huge huge fan of they've got two different pieces of that they've got 500 series gear so whether you're a tracking engineer a mixing engineer or a mastering engineer you need to check out this high quality company tegler and guess what their prices they're not they're not crazy they're mid-range prices for high-end equipment. They're like a fantastic company. We love them so much. And if you want 10% off any of their gear, you can go to their website directly or from their shop directly, or I'll link it in mixingmusicpodcast.com slash Tegler, T-E-G-E-L-E-R, and use the code MMPOD to get 10% off your next order. Now back to the show.